Well, hello everybody. I'm Hal. And I'm Melanie. We want to welcome you to another episode of Making Biblical Family Life Practical. Hey guys, today we're going to be talking to Ken Ham, who is the founder of, of Answers in Genesis. And, you know, he's also the visionary leader behind the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. You may remember, was it last year, year before last, mm-hmm. when we made a trip to the Ark Encounter and recorded it, did, did an episode of the podcast there about mm-hmm. it. And enjoyed it a lot. You need to take your kids there if you haven't. It's very mm-hmm. faith building. Mm-hmm. And as someone with a science background, I was delighted mm-hmm. by how accurate and scientifically um, reliable it was. Well, everything that we see from Answers in Genesis is done at the highest level of professional quality. All of their media is good. And their, their museum presentations are absolutely top flight. I mean, I've been totally impressed both at the Creation Museum and at the Ark Encounter. You know, uh, Ken is well known for his defense of biblical creationism, and he's written a number of books on that topic, but he also writes on family issues and discipleship. Well, you know, we've used a lot of his creation books with our own family. Mm -hmm. You know, I think all of our kids have read The Lie, Mm -hmm. and all of them have read One Blood. Mm -hmm. You know, they're good. It's good stuff, Ken. We really appreciate it. We would like to welcome you because we want to talk about Will They Stand? Parenting Kids to Face the Giants, your new book. And um, let's introduce our, our audience to that. Welcome. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you, Hal and Melanie. Sounds like uh, we just need to employ you as marketers for the Answers in Genesis <laughs> Ministry, Creation Museum, and Ark Encounter. By the way, you have to come back. We've made a lot of changes. There's a lot of new additions. And our new pro-life, fearfully and wonderfully made exhibit at the Creation Museum, I think it's the most powerful you'll see in the world. It is phenomenal. Excellent. Of course, you know, dealing with the abortion issue and so on. Well, that's one thing that's really impressed us. We've been to the Creation Museum several times over the past several years, and Every year, there's something new. It's always fresh. And uh, you can't say that about other leading museums around the country because we travel around enough. We've been in a bunch of them. And every time we come back to the Creation Museum, we say, that's the way it ought to be. Well, you know, I remember the first time we went to the Creation Museum, we had just been to the Smithsonian Mm. and had gone to their Natural Science Museum, which I was super excited about because I had happy memories of it as a child. Mm -hmm. And it was so shabby. Well, it was a temple to Darwinism. Well, it was. It was. They, had, I mean, they had um, motivational posters up on the wall with quotes from Darwin. And then we went directly from there to the Creation Museum. And it was just such, it was so refreshing. It's like the difference see. between darkness and light. <laughs> it, well, it really Gee, is. it is, isn't it? But the thing that impressed me the most was how carefully scientifically accurate it was. Hmm. You know, that's very important to me that Christians do things in an excellent way. You know, that we that we hold ourselves to the highest standards. And I think you guys have done a great job with that. Well, you know, my father, everything he did, one of his favorite Bible verses, you know, whatever you do, you do is unto the Lord. And that's what he taught us. And so you do your best uh, for the Lord. You know, my mother always drummed into us, you know, God first, others second, yourselves last. And it's whatever you do uh, for the Lord. That's what counts. And I remember when we were going to church and we would complain about her dressing us up to go to church. And, and she would say, well, how would you dress to go to visit the queen of England when we're going to, you know, to worship the king of Kings, we should even dress better than, than going to visit the queen of England. Anyway, you just remember those funny things from, from your uh, background and from what, what my parents did. I think I would have liked your mom a lot. (laughs) Well, now, your most recent book, uh, Will They Stand, is a very personal book. It's not just uh, it's not just about doctrines and principles, but you talk a lot about your own your own raising, 
the way that you and, and your wife have, have sought to raise your own children, um, you really talk a lot about the concept of a legacy. And well, yeah, and if you're going to talk about a legacy, you know, I need to start with the spiritual legacy my parents passed on to us and then how we're passing on that spiritual legacy to our children and then how they're passing it on to their children, which is how it should be. And mm -hmm. so woven throughout this book, uh, the biblical principles in regard to raising children and roles for parents, mother and father, but at the same time, it's showing people that the Answers in Genesis ministry, the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter that we talked about, that impacts, you know, conservatively speaking, we would say impacts directly 30 million people a year, but indirectly, wow. indirectly tens of millions more, of course. And really, that's a legacy of parents who taught their children to stand boldly and uncompromisingly on the word of God, taught us to defend the Christian faith, taught us to have a true Christian worldview starting from God's word and to be courageous and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to contend for the faith. I mean, that's what my parents did for us. And that's why the Answers in Genesis ministry even exists today. Well, you know, Hal and I both come from Christian families and some of my earliest memories are, are of my mom teaching me the word of God. And it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. It's a, we tell our kids it's a very great privilege to be raised in a, in a family where you hear the word of God. You talk about your father's intentional influence, raising you and your siblings. Can you talk about some of the principles that guided your dad? Well, yes. And in, in fact, you know, I mean, the scripture says the fathers to the children shall make known their truth. Fathers to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Psalm 78. You love, I love to read the first part of Psalm 78. Fathers teach your children so they'll not forget to teach their children. Fathers teach your children so they'll not forget to teach their children and not forget to teach their children. And that's what my father was like. You know, my father was one who he just loved the word of God. He saturated himself in the word of God. In fact, when he was in hospital uh, dying, um, one of my brothers was with him. And of course, this was uh, quite a number of years ago. You know, we're talking about, about back in 1995. But we, he, my brother asked him, why did you love God's word so much? And he said, well, his father died when he was 16. So I, I never got to know my grandfather on my father's side. But he said, then he didn't have an earthly father. So he turned to the words of his heavenly father and he read them over and over and over and over and over again, saturated himself in the word of God. And, you know, the word of God itself uh, talks about that, you know, uh, uh, being healthful, your bones and so on. Uh, you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Uh, and so my father uh, grew up then saturated in the word of God. And when we were uh, in Australia as, as a family, uh, you know, we were brought up in the state of Queensland and my parents uh, were transferred every three years because whatever my father did, he always said, whatever you do, do is under the Lord. And so he always did the best he could. And he would always be promoted every three years to a, to a bigger school as a school teacher and as a headmaster. And a lot of towns we went to only had, you know, one church that a lot of them didn't have Sunday school. So they would start Sunday schools. They would bring evangelists in, particularly from the open air campaigners, a group in Australia they used to support that would come in and run programs for kids. And they would get as many kids to come as possible because they wanted to reach them with the message of Jesus. All that had an impact on us, of course. And then, and you know, it was one of those programs where they actually brought in the open air campaign of missionary when I was 10 years old who had a challenge for us, those who wanted to be a missionary for the Lord. And that's when I signed a piece of 
paper that said, yes, I want to be a missionary for the Lord and go wherever he wants me to go, do whatever he wants me to do. That was a specific directive of, of this uh, missionary that you're willing to go wherever God wants you to go and do whatever he wants you to do. And uh, it was at that stage that I'm thinking, yes, you know what, my parents have trained me. Yes, in the foundation of God's word. Yes, I trust the Lord uh, with all my heart and soul. And I want to go where he wants me to go and do what he wants me to do and be a missionary for him. I didn't know that it mean coming to America and, you know, mm -hmm. living eventually in the state of Kentucky or anything like that. But mm -hmm. as my parents were transferred around, sometimes, you know, you'd get to a place as one church and the pastor had been impacted by liberal theology and that liberal theology would come through his sermons. And so my mm -hmm. father would then take us up to the pastor afterwards and open his Bible and say, you know, thus says the Lord, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. you know, have you not read? And he would do it. He wouldn't do it in a harsh way or anything, but he would challenge right. the pastor. You know, the pastor would say, oh, a little boy took it as loaves and fishes, so everybody else did the same. And my father would go up and say, no, this was a miracle of the Lord. And so one of the things my father did, and this is a challenge to parents today, one of the things my father did was this. He recognized that liberal theology was having an impact on the church and an impact on the people and caused people to doubt God's word. So he started researching what the liberal theologians were teaching, you know, the higher criticism and all the rest of it, and then getting answers to that and then giving us the answers and giving the pastors the answers as well because he didn't want us led astray. You know, there's a word for that today. He never used that word, but it's called apologetics. It's, it's really a defense of the faith. And so I grew up in a home where my father was teaching us apologetics, equipping us to answer these skeptical questions so that we wouldn't be led astray. And, you know, there's been a failure, I think, of many families today and a failure of much of the church to raise up offspring who are equipped with answers to all the secular attacks of today, whether it's evolution, millions of years and so on, that undermine the authority of the word of God. And look, Answers in Genesis is an apologetics ministry. That's what the Creation Museum and the Ark are, apologetics ministries. And you can see the impact of my parents in regard to that. That's excellent. Well, you know, I, I, think, that there's, um, I think that there's a misunderstanding for a lot of people who, who think that, well, if I believe the Bible, then I just have to shut my eyes to all of the things that secular people say and just deny it and just, just, just you know, not engage it at all. And that's not the pattern we see in the scriptures. That's not that's not the example we see from Christ. I think a lot of times it's out of fear. I think they're afraid that they won't know how to answer. and Maybe somebody will tell them something that will shake their faith. And they need to realize that we have a reasonable faith that can stand examination. That we don't have to be afraid of, of what the, the secular people are saying. That's why apologetics is so critical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's especially critical during the preteen years. Mm -hmm. Because in the preteen years where their brains are developing and they're beginning to realize that people believe things differently than their parents, they're beginning to logically analyze things, they need apologetics. It's a need. And well, you know, you know, it's interesting, Melanie, just following off what you're saying there. Uh, in 2009, we published a book called Already Gone, and mm -hmm. it was based on research that had been done by George Barner, Lifeway, others. We've done our own research to show for a number of years now. In America, two-thirds of young people have been walking away from the church by college age and very few are returning. And we've seen that exodus from the church. In fact, only 18% of millennials today go to church. It's a major issue. But we did research to go out and find out uh, why they left the church. 
and it's it's interesting the answers they gave were things like well because of evolution millions of years how can there be a loving god with all this death and suffering in the world and and what it really showed was they weren't taught apologetics they weren't taught to defend their faith and when we did that research one of the things we found was this that that doubts in regard to the word of god were already there in young people's minds 40 percent of them were doubting god's word by middle school yes and then and then another 40 percent by the end of high school so by the time they got to college you know for a lot of parents it's oh my kids are going to college i need to buy them something christian here to you know help save them from college whatever well that's why we call the book already gone you, you got to understand those kids are already gone and yeah. many of them are already gone by the end of uh, elementary school you know many yeah. of them are already gone then by the end of high school you've got to get your kids at a young age and that's one of the principles i bring up in the book and i use yeah. i use vegemite that australian exotic food in talking about salt to talk about teaching your children to acquire a taste of the things of the lord from when they're a young age if you don't acquire a taste for a particular food at a young age it's hard to get it when you're older and there's there's a principle there and just like you know paul said of timothy you know that from a child you have known the scriptures it's so important our our um, my wife and I, when our children are born, we started showing them pictures in books and teaching them when they, basically after they were born, people thought we were nuts. But by the time they, as they grew older, they got to love those books and they got to read those books and became their favorite books. And so we saturated them in not just what the Bible teaches, but apologetics, giving them answers, dinosaurs and whatever, whatever else it was uh, yes. so that they, they were equipped, ready uh, to, to be in the world. Now, something you bring up in the book, uh, I can't quote it precisely, but you said that there, there were situations where your father told you that this is an answer that I don't have right now, but we trust that God will provide it. We just need to wait for God to explain this next thing. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Sure. And, you know, just before I do that, just to go back to, um, something Melanie said, or maybe it was you, Hal, said it, but a lot of a lot of people today, I agree, are fearful of sort of witnessing to others because they're not equipped with answers. They don't have those answers to defend their faith or then or they're not equipped to know how to think about issues. And yes. they know they're going to be asked some questions that they can't answer. Hey, I've been thrown to the lions out there, so to speak, you know, for 40 odd years in this ministry. And there are many times I have to say, well, I don't have the answer to that, but I'll research it. There are some things, because we're finite human beings, we may never know the answers to in this life. And that gets to one of the things my father said was, you know, often, and, and I find this is a problem today, when somebody will bring up something like, oh, what about light from the further star? You're saying the universe is only thousands of years old, but it took millions of years for light to get here. And then uh, for a lot of parents, they come to me and say, oh, this, this means the universe can't be 6,000 years old. Well, you know, um, well, I, I don't have an answer to it. So, oh, they must be right. Oh, and they get intimidated. Oh, but see, I remember my father taught me something. Just because something looks like it contradicts the Bible, what you need to do is, number one, go to God's word and make sure you know what God's word clearly teaches and that you're taking it in context. If it's history, as Genesis is, you're taking it as history. Uh, and you're making sure that you're uh, interpreting the words uh, according to the literature, the language right there uh, in Scripture. And if then you're sure 
that the scripture is teaching what you say it is and it con contradicts what the world is saying then there's something wrong with what the world is saying that and just because you don't have an answer doesn't mean there's not an answer yes. it means we have to wait for an answer because the other thing you always taught me was compared to what god knows we know nothing think about that god is infinite in knowledge yeah. and wisdom you know i often think about that how dare we question the word of god when we know nothing compared to what god knows he knows everything there is to know about everything I mean, right. in, in Christ, I hid all of these treasures of wisdom and knowledge, it says in Colossians. And so, you know, I in, in the teaching that we do, too, when people ask that question about light and the universe, I will say to them, do you know everything there is to know about space? Well, no. Do you know everything there is to know about light? Well, no. Do you know everything to know about how God actually created in the first place? Well, no. Well, then how can you say, therefore, the Bible can't be right when you take a stand on the chronology in the Bible that adds up to only thousands of years? You see, because when you think about it, God finished his work of creation. And when he made the sun, moon and stars on day four, and he made them for signs and for seasons and to be the sun to be the light bearer during the day and the moon to, to reflect that light at night, then you could already see that light from Earth. How did he do it? I don't know. He finished his work of creation. There, why is it, I don't know. Why is it any harder to create the waves of light between the moon and the earth than it is to create the moon? You know? Well, well, I mean, you then, know, or, or raise Lazarus from the dead or, yeah. you know, well, uh, look at all the miracles. We are out of time in this segment, but we're going to carry Ken over to the next segment as we're going to talk about education and how that how that impacts our ability to leave a legacy with our in our children. You've been listening to Making Biblical Family Life Practical with Hal and Melanie Young. If you found this program interesting, challenging, and encouraging, why not join us on the web at halandmelanie.com. That's H-A-L-A-N-D-M-E-L-A-N-I-E.com. Or follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook slash Melanie or facebook.com slash Raising Real Men. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Join us next week when we'll be back to talk about making biblical family life practical. Until then, thank you and God bless you for listening.